please turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll read one verse, Revelation the third chapter, verse 18. Revelation the third chapter and verse 18. I can see this pulpit was not made for me. Amen. So I'm going to have a hard time with this today. We need some taller elders here, I guess, and preachers. Revelation 3 and verse 18. If you're looking at Exodus, go to the other side of the Bible. You're at the beginning. Go to the end, to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. If it says Exodus 3.18, you're in the wrong book. The very last one, one verse, the Bible says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover the shamefulness, shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Let's take this time now and pause and pray as we approach God's word today. Father God in heaven, Lord, we come to your throne of grace. This morning in Jesus' name, the Bible says that men should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I believe that you have a message this morning for your church. We pray that you will challenge us, you will encourage us. I pray we'll leave here edified and built up, strengthening our faith. It is my prayer that as God's word goes out, it will touch hearts. It will regulate minds. Pray now you'll use me as the vessel at this time to speak with compassion, with clarity of thought, with personal conviction. And I pray that you'll use this message to help us all grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our prayer by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this message, The Spiritual Goal That Gives Pure Sight. Our lives can look good outwardly, but they can very well be void of a true spiritual power. We ought to be watchful over our enemies. All of us here today who are believers have three main enemies. The devil, the world system, and the old nature of the flesh. We have Satan, which is a reference to its entire demonic kingdom, demons and devils that are out th throughout the earth. We have a system that is opposed to the word of God. And then we have an enemy from within, which is the old nature. We all have that. As the old preacher says, I have Jesus in my spirit, but I have my grandfather in my bones. And so many of us like me, come on, you have what Jesus would tell you to do, and then you have what your family may have told you to do. My grandfather, Percy Sr., I'm actually the third, so I was called PJ, still today at 37, get, get called PJ at this day to, by my family, Percy Jr., 37 years old, three kids, still getting called PJ. My grandfather, they said, and I told my grandma, I said, Grandma, I'm too old for that now. She said, I'm going to call you PJ until I die. Okay? That was about 10 years ago. I figured I was going to get a little older. I'm 35 now. I said, Grandma, can I, get, can I get called Percy now? What did I tell you? When I die, right? I meant that. 
So grandma still called me PJ. I'll be almost 40 in a couple of years. Amen. But my grandfather, Percy Sr., he was a big man, 6'6", six, six, over 300 pounds, very intimidating. And one of the things that he would teach me when I was maybe in my early 20s, he talked to me about your posture. He said, you're a man now. When you walk into a room, you're straight in your back. You make eye contact with people. You give them a firm shake. And what he was teaching me is just to have dignity for yourself. He was basically teaching me to respect yourself and others will respect you. People have a hard time respecting those who don't respect themselves. And so my grandfather, though he wasn't saved, he gave me a lot of practical wisdom in terms of how to carry yourself, about work. He always told me, whatever you do, do your best. You show up on time. You show up early. Um, I would say I was always early. I can say this, my wife's not here today. But I was, I was always early when I was single. I'll say that. Amen. I said it. Okay? I was always early. I'm, that was me. Now, amen, come on, I'm just being honest here today. I was always, I, I was told, if you're on time, you're late. That's what I, that was the way I was trained. If you're on time, you're late. You show up a half an hour, 15 minutes early. That changed when I got married and had some kids, and now it's a little hard to get out the house with everybody together. If you repeat this to my wife next week, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Okay, so I said today, I got a little grace today. She's not here. Amen. So if you repeat this out the whole message, I'm going to find out about it. So, my grandfather gave me a lot of practical wisdom that I can still apply today. However, there were some things I learned from my grandfather that are not right in the sight of God. It may have made sense to him. So, if you're anything like me, you've had a number of lessons you've had to unlearn. One of the things that I notice in my family, as most men do, most of the men in my family Whenever an attractive woman walked by, they would look. More than once. <laughs> right? The pastor of Damien told me, you look once, not twice. That means control yourself. So what appeared to be normal to them is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. So my personal conviction is I make eye contact. That's how, that's how I deal with that. You're up here. That's how, that's how I'm able to address that. Why? I'm honoring God first and foremost, and I'm also protecting my family by keeping my heart right. So what my family may have taught me concerning that, what appeared to be normal, isn't what God considers normal. And that's just one example of many that we see in God's word. All of us have family a cultural background, experience we've had in life, and we have to now filter all those experiences and learning through the Word of God. And if you're anything like me, you struggle with that at times. You think about some of the current events, some of the race relations, the tension we see in our country. What we may want to do in the flesh is clearly not what God wants to be done in the spirit. So as we think about this title, the spiritual gold, that gives us pure sight. You're probably wondering, where is he going with this? I want to talk about the gold that Jesus talks about in this text. Here are a few fun facts about gold before we get into that. A few fun facts about gold. The world's largest gold bar weighs 551 pounds. 
I actually have that in the office right now. No, I don't mind about that. I don't have that. That would be nice. Amen. <laughs> the world's largest gold bar weighs 551 pounds. Gold has been discovered on every continent of the earth. Our bodies contain 0.2 milligrams of gold, most of which is in our blood. At times, earthquakes that can turn water into gold. Gold is considered non-toxic, and gold metal flakes can be eaten in foods or in drink. Gold is used in electronics, electrical wiring, and there are some who may even have gold in their mouth, especially our brothers and sisters from the South, where it's very popular. So the Bible teaches that the streets in heaven are made of a pure gold. There is only one passage in the Bible that refers to the streets of gold, and that's found in Revelation 21, 21. The Bible says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl, the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. So a good rule of thumb when we're studying God's word is to take everything in the Bible literally, unless it doesn't make sense to do otherwise. Uh, for example, when the Bible says to take out your eye and cut off your hand, clearly Jesus is not teaching you and I to dismember ourselves. He's making a principle that whatever causes you and I to sin, we should remove that. And let me just give you that word of, of challenge for all of us. Whatever it is that causes you and I to sin, we have to do something about that. If we're struggling with lust, you must gain control over that. If you're struggling with hatred, you must allow God's love to penetrate your hearts. And love is easy to manifest with those who you like. Let me say that. I have no problem loving my wife. I have no problem loving Noah and La Sophia. It's natural to do that. How do you and I treat people who we don't like? It's quiet. You all looking like you're ready. You're mad at me now. Come on. Amen. How do we treat people who are different from us? Different cultures, different backgrounds. Can we love them? Do we have enough humility? I'm trying to think the right word in my mind. Humility. To embrace different cultures, different people. When I was in Bible college in 2007, I went to school at Dayspring Bible College and Seminary. It's a small Baptist college, probably 200 students. Lake Zurich, Illinois. So if there were 200 students there, there were probably 197 were white. Three or four African-American men. Well, I was one of them. So clearly, right away, I knew I, had, I was entering into a new arena. I've been in Chicago my whole life. I went to college at age 24. And so the songs I was used to hearing in church, you know, Jesus on the main nine, victory and, 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 and power in the blood, all those type of songs, the clapping, the organ, the drums. I get to Lake Zurich, and I think the first Sunday they were singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm sitting there in the back, and he's up there leading singing. It was Matt Wolf. He was actually the pastor's son. And Matt's up there. A mighty fortress is our God. I'm sitting there. Amen. I'll sit back there in the back. That first Sunday, that immediate intimidation, discomfort. Because 
if we're honest here today, most of us, we are comfortable about around people who are like us, who think like us. What do you want to say amen to that? Not who think like us, who like the same music, who have the same culture. And it takes humility to leave that circle of comfort and go into a whole other world. Now, I joke about that one song. That was the first day. I stayed there for five years. So clearly I overcame that. And I learned after that immediate discomfort that, guess what? There are people just like me. They have fears like I have fears. They have loves like I have love. We had a lot in common. In fact, we loved the Lord Jesus Christ. That was our common bond. So once we were able to get past some of those cultural differences, which are fine, nothing wrong with that, I understood what was most important in God's sight is that regardless of the music style or the culture or any of those things, this person is my brother in Christ. That's the way the Lord sees it. And if I'm a good Christian, that's the way I should see it. So the spiritual goat that I believe Jesus refers to in this text is what Philip sung about just now. Love. That love from God. That's the pure gold that the world needs. That's the pure gold that the world does not have without you and I. And that's the pure gold that should be demonstrated first and foremost in the house of God. So the pure gold in this text, I believe, is the love of God that we manifest to each other. Is the love of God that Romans 5 says is set abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, people don't care how much you know until they see how much you actually care. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Think about that. In God's mind, our brothers and sisters are those who are born again. Let's get to the basics here. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have been sealed into the day of redemption. And in God's mind, the love we have for each other should be stronger than even our own blood and family. There should be a bond we have for each other in church that you don't have with your blood family. In fact, the Lord Jesus himself was confronted by people saying, your mother and brothers are looking for you. And Jesus asked the question, who is my brother and sister and mother and father? Those who do the will of God. 1 John chapter 3 to chapter 4, the Greek word for love, agape, is used 14 times. And the verb is used 21 times, which clearly distinguishes love as the theme of 1 John. The Savior who commands you and I to worship, to pray, to be sanctified, he also commands you and I to love. What am I trying to say? We think about the Ten Commandments. And those are authoritative to us. But the command to love is just as authoritative from God. In other words, this is a command of God. God says, as my son is my daughter, I command you to show love to other people. 1 John 3.15 says, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Strong words. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing 
in him. Zane Hodges, in his commentary on 1 John, had this to say about 1 John chapter 3. He says, hatred of one's brother is not only an experience of death, it is also an experience of murder. The person who hates his Christian brother is really no different from Cain. Now, when I read that, I said, ouch. We think so highly of ourselves for going to church. Sometimes even helping in the church. You do and I do. But the question I have for you is the question I have for myself. Do we genuinely love each other? And if so, why do we have trouble at times making eye contact? Why is it so easy for us to, at times, be dismissive of others? Where is the love of God in our hearts? The scripture says, how can a man say he loved God who he has not seen and hate his brother who he has seen? I love Jesus, but I hate you. That's not how that works. <laughs> That's not how I left it all out. That's not how that works. If we truly love God, then I will show that to you. And when I don't show love, that shows that, here, here, here is the way it was taught to me in Bible college by Pastor Dan Rehoff. When this is right, your walk with God, this will be right. And when this is not right, this can never be right. When this is not right, it's easy for you and I to manifest hatred towards each other through judgment, bias. We have to be careful with that stuff. We have to be careful manifesting hatred vocally and both verbally. Many times when the hatred is manifest, it comes vocally through gossip, strife, comparisons, envy, division. And James says whenever you have this, you have every evil work. Whenever you have vocal sins such as strife and division and anger and malice, you're going to have confusion. You're going to have cliques. And that divides the house of God. So the Bible says that we show that we love God by how we treat each other. The person who hates this Christian brother is really no different from Cain. Even though he may not commit the overt act of physically killing this brother. The spirit of hatred is that we want to be rid of our brother. That's the spirit behind it. In other words, he's teaching that we could really care less if they die. That's the spirit that God condemns in 1 John. That's the spirit that God condemns, especially in the people of God. If it was a brother, it's a brother hatred that led to the first murder in human history. Two brothers, Abel, Cain. It was a case of spiritual envy. I, I think Cain thought to himself, who does Abel think he is? Always talking about God. Always smiling, singing these church songs. He's no better than I am. And there is a spirit of Cain even today. There are those who will hate you for your walk with God, for the testimony you have, 
for the decisions you make to honor holiness and to love God. There's something about holiness that irritates those who are not walking with the Lord. Mark my word. I talked about in the introduction of this message, the conviction I have to make eye contact with women. That's the appropriate thing to do. And you would think that most women would appreciate that. Some of them get mad when I do that. Hey, <laughs> man, they get uncomfortable. Who does a guy think he is? Why is that? We have got so conditioned to people living backwards that when someone actually honors God, it comes across as awkward. So the truth is here today, spiritual envy can lead to a hatred for your brother or sister. Some believers who feel guilt find it easy to manifest hatred toward those who God approves. That's the principle here. Those who experience guilt for sin find it easy to manifest their hatred toward those whom they know the Lord is in approval of. Cain killed Abel because he was jealous of the connection he had to God. And when a man is connected to God, when a woman is connected to God, people will see that. They'll see that light in you. The Bible says we are the light of the world. The Bible says that we are salt and light. Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When God is in you, in this dark world we are in, you, sir, ma'am, will stand out. They will see you at work. They will see you at your family. They will say something like this, there's something different about you. I'm sure you've heard it before, haven't you? You have a light about you that everyone doesn't have. Your, your voice tone will be different. Your demeanor will be different. Your disposition will be positive. You can tell in about three seconds when someone has negative disposition towards you, right? That's that energy they give off that says, I'm judging you. I despise you. I know some of y'all like this. Okay, I'm going to preach anyway. I'm judging you. You're less than me. You can say that without saying a word. Your body language. Let's talk communication for a second. I took a class on communication in college. 93% of what you say is interpreted in your body language, your disposition, and your voice tone. People are not as dumb as some of us think they may be. Your voice tone, your demeanor, that tells them your disposition towards that person. 7% are the actual words you use. The other 93% is everything else we mentioned. Disposition, voice tone, all that communicates a message of either love or hatred. And the spiritual goal we see in this verse is love. Unfortunately, Cain chose to manifest hatred. And Cain's hatred brought the judgment of God into his life. He's referred to as a vagabond. The Hebrew word means to wander up and down, a fugitive. In other words, the practical application here is this. Because of Cain's refusal to manifest love, because of Cain's refusal to love his brother, to be kind, to be patient, 1 Corinthians 13, to, to not keep a record of wrong, to see positive things about people, Re because of Cain's refusal to do that, the practical application is this. Today, if you or I hate others because of their race, their class, their social status, or net worth, education level, sex, whatever, 
If we manifest hatred because of those things, the consequence of God is the vagabond spirit, which simply means restless. And some of us right now are restless because of this. You've been to school, you got the job, you got the house, and you're still not happy. Let me help you today, my brother and sister. You're wondering why am I not happy. Just maybe you're, not, you're restless because you won't show love. So because of that, I know you don't like this message. It's okay. I'm going to preach it anyway. Because of that, no one's good enough for you. You're never happy anywhere you go. You go from job to job, person to person, because no one can meet your standard. You have this restlessness that is a direct result of your refusal to obey, watch this, a basic command of God. This is Christianity 101, by the way. This is not advanced. So our refusal, your refusal, or my refusal to obey a basic command of God, we haven't got to the deep things of God yet. That's why you're moody all the time. I know you don't like this message. That's okay. That's why you can't get along with nobody. You go from job to job. No one wants good enough for you. Your thing is, if everybody could be just like me, where did you get that from? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So a refusal to love will have you in a consistent, restless state. That's why you're always irritated. You walk around, you're irritated all the time. That's why. Amen. You won't love. I'm helping you wondering, what's wrong with me? Let me help you out. Before you go to psychologist, waste your, the psychologist, waste your money, let me help you out. Amen. You're too mean-spirited. You're judgmental. I'm a priest. You want to say amen. I'm a priest. You might as well say amen. I'm a priest now. You should say amen. You're judgmental. You are mean-spirited, and that's why you're not happy. We're going to sit back. I wonder what's wrong with me. Why am I so unhappy? Look at yourself. Who's good enough for you? Nobody smart as you are. No one is as dignified as you are. You, you just, you, no one can pass your standard, whatever their standard is. You don't even know what it is. Whatever that is. And that type of disposition keeps you in this consistent, restless place. You say, Percy, why are you preaching this? I'm glad you asked me that. Because I've been in that restless state before. So I know what I'm talking about. Ready to say amen or not. Not good enough for you. You got something to say about everything. Talk about me. You got something to say about everything. Painted. You're not manifesting the love of God. That's your problem. See, preaching, by the way, it goes to the preacher first. So if you wonder where this came from, this came from my private devotion. This is God talking to me first. Amen. It's Percy, you need some spiritual gold. Amen. You need some love in your heart. And love isn't just emotion, by the way. It's action. We're not talking about putting a smile on your face. Anybody can do that. Amen. That don't mean nothing. You can smile and still hate a person. We call that being phony, by the way. Good to see you, brother. You can't stand a person. Man, good to see you. God bless you. And as soon as they leave, you think to yourself, what an idiot. We're not talking about that. Come on. About the true love of God. That's the spiritual goal God says. In other words, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy that. I appreciate your, your degrees. I appreciate you going to school, buying all these classes, reading all these books. That's great. That's beautiful. But Jesus says to you and to me, I counsel you, church, I counsel you, Percy, to buy from me gold. And the gold here is the love of God that the world needs and that the church needs. 
That's the goal that Jesus is referring to here, the pure love of God. So then we, when we like this pure gold, we will manifest the exact opposite, which is hatred. Secondly, in addition to the pure gold, we need white clothes to wear to cover the shamefulness of our nakedness. What is Jesus talking about? He's referring to the righteousness of Christ. Our righteousness comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Matthew 22, 11 says this, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked him, how did you get here without the wedding clothes? Friend, the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot. How would you like that? Throw him outside into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel message is simple, concise, and clear. And it can be summarized in 10 words. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel. Anytime anyone asks you that, you can tell them in 10 words. One sentence. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Our righteousness is not based upon good works. No one's good enough for God apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 2 and verse 21, if I could be righteous through works, then Christ has died in vain. Jesus Christ died for you and I because he was the only way that you and I can have access to the Father. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the white here refers to the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Everyone is a sinner less perfect than God. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. There is nothing that you or I can do to obtain this perfect righteousness. Christ was made a perfect sacrifice for you and for I. All men must do to be saved is believe. The Bible says it so clearly in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. And that this is encouraging too. Men can know that he has eternal life because eternal life is eternal. In other words, we cannot lose our salvation. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we can have that eternal security that is found in Christ. So with this in mind, why would anyone make a decision to indulge in sin? When we think about this, what do we gain by disobeying the commands of God. A temporary coarse delight. That's about it. A temporary coarse delight. Hebrews 11.25 says, or refers to it as the passing pleasure of sin. However, the consequence, the pain, the suffering, at times untimely death, far outweigh the pleasure we ever receive from disobeying the Lord. Through sin, many have a weakened body, ungodly desires, what the apostle Peter refers to as a fleshly desire to wars against your soul. We all have those too, by the way. I know we're here today in church with our church clothes on. But guess what? 
throughout the week, you have desires you struggle with. And we won't sit back and, oh, not, never, not me, you too. Everyone in this room has something that you struggle with. The Bible refers to it in Hebrews as a besetting sin. It is something that can easily hinder your walk with God. I know what mine is. Do you know what yours is? Are you humble enough to acknowledge that? Can you say to yourself, I love God, but if I'm not careful, this can really mess me up? Amen, somebody. We have to be honest with ourselves. We are Christians, but we still have an old nature. We are not sending this church perfect. By the way, the church is not a place for perfect people. It is a hospital for those who are spiritually sick, which means you and me. So if we're sitting back like we're perfect, we need to go back to the basic oracles of God. We don't come here because we have it all together. If we had it all together, I'm wasting my time giving this message. You're wasting your time sitting here listening to this. The truth is you and I at times have a spiritual sickness, and that spiritual sickness is called sin. So Jesus says, with that spiritual sickness, I counsel you, I want to advise you to buy from me the spiritual gold. That's the love of God in your hearts. I want to give you this white raiment to cover yourself, and that's the righteousness of God. And lastly, I want to give you salve or eye salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. What is Jesus referring to in this last part of this verse? The eyes, the windows to the soul. You and I, from time to time, need to have the eyes of our understanding enlightened. Some refer to it as an awakening. Others refer to it as a revival. Romans 12 refers to it in verse 2 as a transformation of the mind. The Bible says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, let me share something from my heart right now for me personally. This verse in particular was something the Lord gave me concerning my own personal walk with God. And I believe God was telling me, I'm trying to adjust your thinking over some things. We have in our minds what we've learned from culture, from family, from experience. And to make him put more weight on this, that's kind of like put more weight on this, you're thinking concerning race relations, politics, humanity. I want you to see it my way. Now, if you're anything like me, that's going to be painful, right? Because when you talk about politics and race relations, you're talking about something that's very personal. Hits home. You have some strong opinions about that stuff. And so when God comes with his eye medication, guess what happens? It burns. Amen. It hurts. How many know that God will clear your vision through pain? Amen. I don't hear anybody. God will clear your mind through pain. See, to think about the clearing of our spiritual vision, in other words, learning to see life from God's perspective. We learn from the life of Job that pain, suffering, and at times even death can be used by God to clear our spiritual vision. Job lost seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. I don't mean nothing to us today. A lot of money. 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large home. 
Here is what Job said at the end of that experience. My ears heard of you, but now my eye have seen you. What was Job saying? After the loss and the pain and the suffering, the trials you're going through right now, there's something about suffering that helps you to see God differently. There's something about setbacks that causes you to pray more. I'm talking now. There's something about a hard time in life that will lead you to pray and to fast and to worship and to take church serious. There is something about pain that will clear your spiritual vision. Pastor Mark mentioned a 15-year-old kid, 14-year-old boy who was shot down. I remember when I was 14, 15 in high school, complete opposite of what I am right now. Many who, by the way, one of the things that I think is a misconception about me, I am not as serious as everybody thinks I am. Amen. I joke all the time. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> My wife and I, we joke all the time. Some of y'all know y'all think this guy's a robot. Trust me. No, I'm not. In fact, when I was in high school, I know you can't believe this. I was in high school, and this is not boasting. I'm trying to paint a picture here. In high school, I was the type of student who used to get put out of class for telling jokes. That was how down earth I was. Joking all the time, everything was a game, everything was a game. Pain, suffering, life caused me to see everything differently. I sat in church, I would come out, I sat in church 15, 16. I didn't want to hear it. Can't wait till it was over with. I know how that goes. Talking while the pastor's preaching. I used to do all that type of stuff. Come on. <laughs> what changed that? Setbacks. Devastation. Pain. There's something about sorrow and pain that will cause you to tap into something greater than yourself. The Bible says in Psalms, I look to the hills for what came to my help. My help came from the Lord, which created the heavens and the earth. So I heard about God when I was 15 in church. I heard about Jesus Christ at that Christian school. But I didn't see God until I was 22 in a homeless shelter. I'm talking now. I didn't see God until I was out here on my own trying to make it in this world. There's something about pain and life and trials that will clear your revelation of who God is. So the suffering we go through can give you a spiritual vision that you will not have any other way. So the very thing that you are running from, that's the very thing God has brought into your life to cause you to see that God is light and him is no darkness at all. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. And if God be for you, who can be against you? That's why the Bible says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. Satan likes to intimidate with fear, but God empowers us with his love, which is the spiritual goal. Abraham had a fear of his future, but God says, I am your shield and your great reward. In the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, Israel had a fear of God refusing to help them. But the Lord responded by saying, I have redeemed you. I have called you and I will be with you. Paul was in a storm and he had the fear of death. But God responded by saying, I will be with you. So my question is here today, is there anyone here today that's in a storm? Is there anyone today that's in a financial storm? I'm going to break it down so you just want to say amen. A relational storm, a trial at work. Some may be saying you're fighting workplace bullying. Guess what? Bullying doesn't end in high school. It happens at work too. 
Some might be here today, you're struggling with workplace bullying. You may be struggling with finances. You may have a trial at work, a temptation you wrestle with. The Bible says to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the Bible also says in Isaiah 41 and verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Has God cleared your spiritual vision? The eyes here speak of a conscience, right with God. A confession of sin. A conviction of right from wrong. A conviction brings spiritual healing. Amen. When God begins to convince you this is the right thing to do. So I want to close by saying, the spiritual gold is the love of God. The white raiment is the righteousness that comes only from Christ. Bible study can't do that. It's not enough. Prayer can't do that. I appreciate you coming to church. That don't cover it. Amen. The only thing that covers us is the pre precious blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. And thirdly, in closing, do you and I have the spiritual vision that comes from the Lord? Let me say something briefly as, as Philip comes forward for music. There are many biblical purposes to the pulpit. Let me say this. What's the purpose of this pulpit ministry? To edify, to build up. Exhortation, comfort, direction, at times confirmation, correction, equipping the saints, and I'll close this one. This is when the pastor becomes unpopular. Judgment. There are times when God wants to bring judgment to his people, and he uses the pulpit to do that. Not to condemn, but to correct. Not to break our spirits, but to bring forth healing. The Bible refers to it in Revelation as the healing of the nations. And the healing of the nations is the presence of God. For in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In God's presence, there's peace. There's love. There's everything that you and I need. So as I close today in prayer, I want to challenge you to go to Jesus. Not to church. Church can give you this. This is all, this is all on God here today. Come to God for their spiritual goal. Go to God for their white raiment. And go to God for their eye medication. Say, God, I'm not seeing it your way. <laughs> I'm struggling with this one. Help me see it the way you see it. And if you're anything like me, if you're honest, you need all three of those. The spiritual goal, the white raiment, and the vision to see things God's way. Let's close in prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord, we come this afternoon to your throne of grace in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for this message, which I believe came from the Spirit of God. Because everything in this verse comes only from Jesus. We can't get this anywhere else. The spiritual gold is a treasure that belongs to God. The white raiment is a treasure that belongs to God. And the eye solve or eye medication to clear up our spiritual vision is something that only God can do. It is my prayer that we will come to you who is the fountain 
of living waters and be refreshed, renewed, dedicated to you. We thank you, Lord, for this message. And we pray for this spiritual goal that gives us pure vision. This is our prayer by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.